Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jade Portman, and today our amazing guest is Jerry McGovern, a famous UI UX expert and an author of six books on customer experience. And we're going to talk about his famous framework of customer top tasks. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Jane. It's it, it's good to be with you uh, on, on, on this session. We are absolutely thrilled to learn from you today. Uh, but before we get started, we would like to have a brief insight into your career, how you got started, what you do these days. So um, I've started, I'm Irish. I started in, in Ireland back about 93, 94, very early days at the web. And I used to be a, a freelance journalist and I came across the web around then and I thought, wow, this is going to change the world. And and one way or another, since then, I've I've been involved in dot-com companies and projects and consulting and in, in tours and workshops. So uh, since since about 93, 94, I've been doing digital uh, type uh, stuff and then very much focusing from about 98 onwards on, on, the, on customer centricity and the customer and the user experience. Amazing. You have six books under your belt. Uh, how does that feel? <laughs> well, it, it's a kind of one step at a time. One of the what I do as well is I have a weekly uh, newsletter or, or opinion piece, and I've been doing that since 1996. So I've I've never uh, missed an issue of that since 1996. So I'm a writer by trade. So it's not a huge challenge when you are a writer. It's hard work, but it's what you do and it's it's how you build your reputation and how you get your customers. So I see it as uh, it's just it's work and we all have to work in in different ways. And and some of us are, uh, you know, are, are writers and we do a lot of creation of content. So so to me, well, you know, it's 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 not easy. It's 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 part of what I do. Wonderful. And it's also great that you're still doing a lot of client work. Uh, could you give us a little bit more insight? What is your typical client company and uh, what kind of projects you do these days? Well, typically the clients I've worked with, I've got a, a, a partnership uh, that, I, that I work with about 10, 10 to 15 people. And, and typically the clients do tend to be larger scale over, over the years. So, so recently we've, we did a, a big uh, top task project for Toyota in Europe where we uh, did in 14 countries to try and understand how do, how do people buy cars. And at the moment we're involved in a, in a, a health type, a national health type project, trying to understand, you know, what what really matters to people's uh, health and and how to manage and structure that. And then, you know, we do quite a bit of technology. We're do, doing a project with a company called NetApp at the, at the moment, uh, where we're helping uh, them develop a a more customer centric information architecture based on their top task data. Wonderful. But before we get started with the main topic, I would love to thank our sponsor, which is uh, Balsamic, our amazing regular sponsor. And Balsamic is a super simple wireframing tool that can help you focus your design on what really matters to your customers. And they were kind enough to give us a free three-month trial at balsamic.cloud. 
enter the code UI breakfast to give it a try yourself. So I decided to invite you here in the podcast after your name came up more than once with the interview uh, with else Ertz when we were talking about effective website navigation, because th- those processes come hand in hand, uh, defining what customers do the most and then building the UI to, to facilitate that. So uh, could you give us a brief insight? What uh, What is the top level definition for customer top tasks? Well, it's it's essentially about really understanding what truly matters most to people, but equally understanding what doesn't matter because it's often uh, i say the tiny tasks that that cause most of the problems i sometimes say when a when a tiny task goes to sleep at night it dreams of being a top task and many user interfaces or architectures in general are overly cluttered by by the low level uh type of of content and needs of the organization there's often a an inverse relationship. Like years ago, we did a a top task project for Liverpool City. And we discovered that the top tasks were about about bin collection, about libraries, about schools, about roads, you know, the basic essential stuff. And then we did a mapping internally uh, with the the quantity of content that, that Liverpool digital team were creating. And there was an inverse relationship so the, the more important it was to the customer, so the more of a top task it was, the less content they were actually creating. The less important it was to the customer, the more content. So you often have this ego-based organizational production of, of lower level, low need type of stuff that that massages the ego of the organization, but is not really helping the customer. And to to develop a a map of that or or a league table to clearly be able to differentiate from a customer's perspective and say, well, these tasks here are way more important than these over here. And yet you're dominating your architecture with these tiny tasks. Why are you doing that? So a kind of top task is about showing a, a... uh, an image to the organization of what what it's really like to be a customer and what the customer truly really needs and what they really don't need that's 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 so super important because in in UI UX it would also mean that you could focus on polishing and streamlining those top tasks and that is much more likely to be a recipe for success than polishing a multiple of smaller tiny exactly. tasks, right? Totally, totally. I mean, you've. I mean, there's two stages in top tasks. The first is to identify them. And there's usually in every environment, and we've done about four or 500 of these in the last 15 years. And we've never, we've, we've, <laughs> we've never found an environment where there's more than 15 top tasks 15, 16, that, that's the maximum in the most complicated environments we've ever worked in. Like we did it for the European Commission across 28 countries, 24 languages, and there was like 13, 14 uh, uh, key, key top tasks. In most environments, uh, the vast majority, 80 to 90% of environments, typically there's about 8 to 12 uh, 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 top tasks, eight to twelve really important things uh, to the to the customers. So it's much better, as you say, to to focus on improving those 
And the next step of what we, we do is we, we take those eight to 12 tasks. So like in, in Cisco, the top task was downloading software. So we created representative examples of downloading software, such as download the latest firmware for the RV over two router. And then we measured those. We measured the success rate and the time of those with, with real network engineers who needed to download this software. And, and, and as you indicated, this continuous improvement. In 2010, it took uh, 15 steps and 280 seconds. But because we started measuring these downloading software, by 2013, it was down to four steps and 40 seconds. So that's the core idea identify those critical tasks and then measure how well they're doing. And usually they're not doing well and then continuously <laughs> improve. Them. Um, as far as I understand, you know, life, there are two approaches uh, that the the founder of the, the software product management can take. One is kind of top down when you decide what your software is going to do, which essentially predefine those tasks for for the customer. And, and the bottom to the top, when you actually ask people what they need to do. And obviously, the, the latter is the correct one, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, like people say, but what about Apple? And what? About, but, but Steve Jobs in, <laughs> in Apple said, know your customers better than they know themselves. Like Apple was always an intensive market research comp driven company. That it, it's a total myth that, you know, Steve Jobs went up on top of a mountain and did yoga for two days, you know, and, and discovered what the PC should be. You know, <laughs> he, he, he was in Xerox Park. He was watching people. He was, you know, uh, all the clever, you know, people have always understood real needs, you know, in you know, real needs of, of of real people. And I think today as well, there's a middle ground where the whole concepts of minimally viable product, etc., and that you, you get it out there and you evolve based on use. What's been used, you know, and what so so this is just another method to really give you a clarity of what is really needed and what is what is not needed uh, in, in the in a particular environment. So my, my next two questions are probably equally important. One is, how do you differentiate between those tasks? Like, it, it seems so binary to divide them into tiny tasks and top tasks, even though there's probably a gradation of those. And, and second, what do you do in real life to, to go to your customers and find those out? Yeah, so, it, of course, it begins with typically a top task identification project takes about 12 weeks to do. So the first six weeks are, are, are basically building your task list. So you need to go out. So if we were doing a health list uh, about, about people's health, we'd, we'd go out and we'd look at Google and we'd, we'd search in Google AdWords for cancer, diabetes, etc. And we'd look for patterns and we'd say, oh, look, symptoms is coming up, prognosis is coming up, diagnosis is coming up in, you know, the, the range of related search activities. So we'd look at the organization's own search engine. We'd look at social media. We'd look at the, the health groups. Where, wherever there are customers and wherever they are talking about the subject. A, a number of years ago, we did Visual Studio 
for for uh, Microsoft, and we we spent a lot of time on independent developer communities, trying to understand what were their challenges, what were they talking about. So if it's buying a car. You know, for Toyota, we look, of course, we look at the Toyota websites and we look at the Ford and, 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 uh, General Motors and Mazda and, and, uh, all, all the other major car websites. And we look at a, any existing research. So we do an intensive period of trying to define the task environment, trying to define the world of buying a car, trying to define the world of, of choosing a university or, of of using a piece of software and typically the task environment is somewhere between 50 and 100 tasks so and by a task i mean prognosis i i mean as a task uh, uh warranties if you're buying a car that's a task because you you want to know well what sort of warranties do they have what sort of many years etc etc so stuff that really is central to the the need or the decision-making process of the customer that's that's essential for them to achieve things. So there's a big process that goes on to develop that list of of tasks. And you you need to do a lot of research and pull in all the sources of the customer and talk to stakeholders, etc. And then we literally, when we've done all that work, we have a cleaned up list of somewhere between 50 and 80 tasks. And then we go out to customers, to about 400 or 500 ideally customers. And we give them the list, randomized, and we say, what's the five most important things to you in buying a car? You know, what's the up to five most important things to you in dealing with health? And they then have to very quickly vote on the five things. And that's where you get your top and tiny tasks. So typically, if there was 100 tasks in let's say just for simplicity the top five tasks will get as much of the vote as the bottom 50 and that pattern has repeated itself hundreds and hundreds of times in over 30 languages in over 30 countries it's not that we choose the tiny tasks and the top tasks it's the customers by a process of when we get about three or four hundred of them to vote that very very quickly the top tasks uh, uh, emerge about what really matters to people. That's a wonderful, wonderful methodology. So every so those not uh, the tasks on your list that hundred they're not micro tasks, but they're just different, quite large, granular tasks that yes. can be applicable in the industry. Yes, you, you need to get a balance, obviously, when you're getting to that final list. So is prognosis at the same level of diagnosis? Is, so all of those 50 or 100, they need to be roughly equal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the. So if you're doing a huge environment, you know, well, let's say you do a big internet for IKEA or Tetra Pak or whatever, and training is one of the top tasks. But if then, if it, comes out as number one or number two you might then do a special top task on training so you say in training and learning what's most important to you but the initial uh, tends to need to be quite high level because you're dealing with a concept like in choosing a university in buying a car you know in uh, dealing with with uh, a, a bank or a financial institution uh, etc so but they need the tasks need to be of relatively equal importance. Uh, you don't want in the list, you know, uh, 
a very top level type of task, you know, something that says, you know, diagnosis, and then another task that says stories and poems about about recovery, you know, recovering after an operation. You, you know, that there's a high level and there's there's a too low. So when you're get, finishing off your list, you, you, and this is why it takes about six weeks to do it. So it takes about typically three weeks to gather all the sources and bring them all together into a spreadsheet. And then it, it takes three weeks of iterative discussion to in many environments we might start off with four or five hundred tasks and then through a process of discussion and cleaning up and methods that we've developed we get down to that 50 or 80 uh, type of task uh, and so it's a balancing act of saying oh look the the these are um uh, we've got three treatment type tasks here and we've only got one symptoms task is that okay? Should, should we not have the same number of symptoms type tasks as treatment? Oh, no, that's okay because treatment is a bigger area than symptoms, etc. So you get, you get those sorts of debates uh, going on so that you get a, a reasonably balanced list, as, as balanced as you can make it. With modern software, do you use any special tools or is it as basic as, you know, large spreadsheet and, I don't know, some survey well, we, software? Yes, some, well, <laughs> we've got our, we've built our own little software over the years. It's not, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be very sophisticated to, to do this sort of analysis. We would use SurveyMonkey or any survey tool that allows you a voting type question. And then we suck that data into our uh, little it's it's an add-in essentially for Excel, and then it does loads of processing and creates graphs and charts, and you know, and we can. So, what what's powerful is when you combine the top task identification question with category questions. So, a category question is like age or or or, or gender or role. So, when we did we did. Uh, the project actually was the first project in Ireland for about five or six years uh, about health. And uh, so we asked people to vote what their top tasks were. And then we asked them uh, their age and, 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 and questions like that. And we were able to then show that, hey, look, check symptoms is a much bigger task for younger people than for older people. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, managing an illness is a much bigger task for older people than it is for younger people. So when you have your top task question and you combine it with demographic categorization segmentation type questions, then you can look mm -hmm. at then you can look and say, oh, do do uh, systems architects have the same tasks as programmers or of oh no, they're they're quite different. So uh, when you combine category type segmentation questions with your top tasks voting list, then you can get very interesting insights on whether different groups have different tasks. That's wonderful. And it's not like uh, rocket science in terms of statistics, right? It, it can be done through pretty much any kind of research software pretty, these days. Pretty much any. I mean, we've customized our own to, to do, but pretty much anything. But it's it's... It's the data is very. The biggest project we ever did was for the European Commission, where we had a hundred and seven thousand people who voted. It was an absolute, you know. Wow. Typ typically, mm -hmm. we only need about four hundred to get statistically reliable data, but we had a hundred and seven thousand people 
in 28 countries and 24 languages. So we obviously had to merge all the languages together, the data, uh, and, and uh, at the end of the all, all that process. But interestingly, the top three tasks in the European Commission, which I think were uh, law, uh, funding and innovation, you know, they were the core uh, type of tasks that everyone was interested in. They... That, so those were the top three tasks at 107,000 voters. They had emerged by 30 voters. So the top, mm-hmm. three, the top three tasks of, of innovation and law and funding were the same top three at 3-0, 30 voters, as they were at 107,000 voters. So this method very quickly gives you highly reliable data on what critically matters. And obviously, as you move, as you get more people to vote, then you've more confidence in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth task and the stability of that. But the top, what we call the super task, the top five, three to five, Mm -hmm. they tend to emerge very, very quickly. Wonderful. So once we do identify those, there is a ton of ways you can apply them. For example, for if your project is a website, it could totally inform your top-level navigation. Totally. Um, but I would love to hear more examples. How could that be applied in a software product, for example? Since a lot of people who are listening to us are building web applications and mobile applications, for example. Well, so, some situations you we have what would called a super task. So it, it gets way more of the vote than, than anything else. So what that could indicate is that that should be the the thing that's immediately doable when you launch your software application uh, in 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 the process. It's it's the actionable thing. Now the analogy I would have is a book a flight or a, a book a book a hotel bedroom where where there's where there's something that's. A, a super task. Well, then it shouldn't be in. Uh, it, well, it should be in the architecture, but not just in the architecture. It should be immediately doable within the structure with the, that somebody uh, actual launches. So you know that sort of. Uh, it gives you that clarity of what to prioritize, what to focus on. I remember uh, uh, years ago, in you know. Uh, uh, Microsoft, we did a, uh, some stuff in, in relation to Excel and stuff like that. And at one stage, they were going to remove cut and paste icons from uh, the actual ribbon going across the top because they, they thought, you know, oh, people don't do that anymore. That used to be, you know, whatever. But when they did the top task analysis, <laughs> they discovered that cut and paste was still by, was a super thing. You know, was w- done way more than any of the other features. So certainly, uh, up and you know, I don't know if they do it now, but for many, many years, the cut and paste icon was was the biggest single icon in the ribbon in in the Microsoft products over over the years. That's a great example. Do you have any interesting case studies where top tasks? were kind of unexpected as opposed to what the product was planned around? Yeah, well, at a broader sense, uh, we did a project uh, a number of years ago uh, for um, another city council, Lancashire uh, Council. And when we were doing the research, we noticed that um, basically um, 
hospitals and health authorities and health information was important uh, uh, according to the customers. And when we brought that initial data back to uh, Lancashire County Council, they said, oh, no, that's not us. That's the National Health Service. So we convinced them to leave it in the vote. And when when uh, customers voted, it was the number two task. So that kind of shocked them because technically that was not their responsibility. And they, but, but what it forced them to do was then collaborate with the National Health Service and bring uh, uh, health-related content into their uh, structure. And there's other environments, you know, even in Taihoda, et cetera, where there were real surprises. Unfortunately, I can't talk about those, what those surprises <laughs> were. But, you know, so in, in many organizations, we get, what we do as well is we get the team to uh, vote separately. So we create a separate co- copy of the study and we ask the team, the stakeholders, well, what do you think are the top tasks uh, uh, within the environment? I remember one, once we did it for a large software uh, type product and there was a significant variance uh, in relation to, you know, and often the top tasks are this basic boring stuff that people feel, oh, they've already figured that one out or we've been doing that for 15 years or, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not really important anymore. It's often the... The, the the boring, you know, understated stuff. And there was this huge disconnect in this software company between the top tasks and uh, of the customers and the top tasks of uh, the digital team and, and all those involved in the software uh, development. And then when they looked at the data after a while, one of them says, I get it. I know what's happened. Uh, and, and they said, well, what's happened? He says, our top tasks are all the projects we're working on right now. We're just assuming that the things that are really important for us right now are the universal top tasks. You know, and often you, you, you lose that focus of the core, particularly as, as software matures. It's not as big a problem when you launch because you tend to have that clarity of what really matters. But when you get two or three or four or five years in, often the team loses focus of the core top tasks, and they begin to start thinking that the top tasks are the are the things that they are now excited about, or the are the features that they are now developing, etc. So that that sort of disconnect can often occur, uh, particularly in mature software environments. That's a great a great example. One refinement comes to mind. Uh, when you define top tasks, uh, how do you phrase the question? Is that what people do most often when they use the software well, we, or the website? Or is it something that matters to them? Because yeah, that's very subjective. Exactly. Well, we generally try and avoid any mention of digital or website or anything. Instead, we try uh-huh. and get into the customer's mind. So we, we don't. We, so when we did Toyota, we didn't say, on the Toyota website, what's most important to you when buying a car? What we said, we didn't even use, <laughs> we didn't even use the word Toyota. We just said, in buying a car, what's most important to you? So we, we, because people don't think in digital. They think about buying a car. They don't think about buying a car online. They don't think about buying a car offline. They think about buying a car. 
They don't think about their health online. They don't think about their health. <laughs> so it's much better for you to speak to the to the human need, not the software need. So if 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 they're trying to get fit or or, or whatever, they're or they're trying to get healthy. They've had poor health. You know, you say in improving your health, what really matters to you? Obviously, you're going to frame it within your broad world. But in, in, in giving the question to the customer, don't talk about digital, don't talk about software, don't talk about websites, talk about them. Talk about, always frame it in choosing a university, in writing a letter, in managing a project, you know, uh, you know get inside their world because most of the time their world is about is about basic tasks and things that they need to do rather than them thinking about so to speak the software itself or the website itself that's a that's a fantastic insight so it's safe enough to say uh, what matters the most to you what is the most important thing to you right yes and let them decide does it mean more frequent or exactly. more important or whatever it is for them exactly yeah you, you you frame in dealing with health so we didn't even say in dealing with your health because once we left it generic in dealing with health then doctors could vote on it carers could vote on it nurses could vote on it patients could vote on it uh parents could who had children who were sick so You often have to think of the multiple audiences that you're reaching them and you want to create the question that can work in a way that does not alienate or or remove a particular key audience from the ability to vote. Let's let's go back a, f- a few years. You've been working, I don't know, for decades with this method and it's an amazing part of the research process that you've decided to focus. But I'm wondering what originally inspired you to focus on that area of identifying top tasks and whether any global UX thinkers influence your uh, method or yeah. maybe your global UX thinker yourself no, and you invented no, no, it. No, I didn't. I mean, no, no, we always uh, discovered through. I mean, the people who would have influenced or inspired me over over the years would have been people like... Uh, you know, Jared Spool and, and Jacob Nielsen and many, many others as well. And actually, it was, um, it it pretty much evolved out of card sorting. I used to do a lot of workshops on card sorting. And uh, I, I, I used to keep a, a, a file, a, a page, where I kept a record of my cards because I had all these I had these big bunches of cards and I didn't want them to get lost, etc., etc. And I, in the back of the of the manual, the workshop manual that I'd give out, I'd have a an A to a Z of 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 the cards. And I just noticed by accident over time, over doing lots and lots and lots of workshops, that some people were cheating. I I thought they were cheating. So instead of sorting the cards, they were quickly choosing. They were scanning the list at the back of the the, uh, workbook and choosing from the list. Uh, And I was telling them, no, 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 you can't do that. It's the cards. You need to sort the cards (laughs) and stuff like that. And over the years, I discovered that actually by using the list, 
was getting the result five or ten times faster than having cards. Now, I know cards are very powerful now that they're online. It's a different model and there's optimal workshops. But this, uh, it it evolved, it became a different method, but it initially evolved from from card sorting uh, and and became something different uh, over the years. But that's where it initially evolved. And, And of course, reading and just listening and what, you know, every day I, I, I try and read 10, 20, 30, or look, at least look at. So I, I'm always learning from other, from other people, but certainly people like, like uh, uh, Jared Spool and Jacob Nielsen would have influenced me very much in the early years when I was getting going. Wonderful. For people who would like to follow your learning path, what would be your top three resources that you keep watching as they publish new content these days? That's a good question. You know, I mean, um, I I have, um, I I, I think gov.uk, just because that's very top of mind at the moment. I was just looking at something. I think they've got really great stuff and they blog a lot and they've got a lot of great insights. I do follow, uh, I do still follow uh, uh, Jared Spool. Uh, uh, there's a very good website, Measuring Usability. Uh, Jeff Soros, he's another really somebody I, I'm really uh, I- 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 impressed uh, with. There's a, a guy, Jerry Scullion, this is HCD. Uh there's there's a lot of really good uh, resources that that I I, I track uh, on on a daily basis, but those are some of the uh, ones that immediately come to mind. Wonderful, thank you for sharing. Well, as we're wrapping up today's episode, where can people find you and your awesome work online? So there's two. If if you're more interested in the insights or the, you know, I, I've been this weekly newsletter opinion piece I've been doing since 1996. You want to subscribe to that or look at archives? JerryMcGovern.com is is the place. So that is all for for the last five years or so of of, of my articles and pieces like that. But if you're more interested in in possibly the consulting angle or looking at the services then it's customercarewords.com uh, uh, that's more for the commercial element of of the services that we provide thank you so much for those links we're going to include those in show notes and we can't Thank you enough for the insights that you shared with us today. I think this is hugely applicable to any project that is happening online or offline today and in future. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> Thank you and have a great day, Jerry. Thank you and same to you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help other people discover this podcast. <laughs>